Welcome to the Seller Roundtable e-commerce coaching and business strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. Hey, what's up everyone? It's Amy Weiss here and Andy is playing hooky again today, still in the middle of his move, but that is okay. We're, we miss him a lot. We can't wait for him to be back. Um, and we are here on the Seller Roundtable, episode 73. I cannot believe it. And speaking of threes, you guys have voted us number three in the seller poll. That's pretty cool. Of all the podcasts in the world for Amazon sellers, you have voted us number three. So we appreciate it. Keep those votes coming. That's amazing. And I'm here today with Anthony Cofrancesco from PicFu. And we're going to talk with Anthony about his journey as an entrepreneur. And we're going to talk about how you can get some really cool um, ideas for your products for your packaging, for your designs, all kinds of stuff from other people who are happy to give you their opinion. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that today. Anthony, thank you so much for being here. Amy, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be on the Amazing at Home podcast. This is awesome. <laughs> yes, well, this is definitely, um, it's we can't just call it the Amazing at Home podcast, Seller's right? Seller's Roundtable, yeah, I'm excited. Yes, because <laughs> we have the Seller Roundtable, but um, I'm loving, I love the amazing at home community and how the Titan community come together for this podcast. It's so cool having both really cool communities here. So the amazing at home community is definitely represented well here. Um, let's talk a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit. I mean, your title for this show was that, uh, was quitting a job with Amazon. So this guy used to work for Amazon. Okay to scale a creative agency. So tell us a little bit about you, where you're from, your background and all, whatever you wanna share. <laughs> sure thing, so I mean, I guess things started off for me. I grew up in a very small town in Maryland called Haver de Grace. I uh, grew up there my whole life and you know, very small town. When I went off to college, I went to the University of Florida and I thought that I wanted to be a doctor, right? No idea why, I just thought doctors made a lot of money and you know, went to, went to school and pretty much just did awful my first few semesters. Eventually ended up getting into the business school, uh, realized that was a little bit more my pace. And uh, at the time I was studying you know, finance and accounting at the University of Florida. And I was able to, you know, my first real working experience, I was able to land an internship uh, with Verizon. And so it was their financial leadership development program where essentially they're, they're kind of grooming uh, these interns for leadership positions in, in the finance and accounting departments. And back then, I really thought that I wanted to be the next big CFO of America. Uh, you know, that was the whole plan. That was the whole goal. And that internship, it was pretty cool because, you know, at the end of the internship, you worked on a, on a, on a team of three people and you actually got to present. So I, for two summers, I got to present to the CFO of Verizon and the entire executive leadership team. And so I was really going down that rabbit hole and uh, then things kind of switched. And it was when I started going down, as you can probably imagine, the rabbit hole of entrepreneurship. I, uh, I was involved in the entrepreneurship club at the University of Florida, and we got some free tickets to go to uh, San Francisco to the Lean Startup Conference. And uh, I remember going to the conference, and the thing that I was thinking more than anything is because I was talking to all these wait, different people. Wait, the Lean Startup Conference, is that like Eric Reese? Eric Reese, yeah, we got, some, we got some free tickets. I didn't know anything about the Lean Startup at the time. I was just traveling. 
I didn't know he had a conference. That's cool. So you, I just read his book, The Lean Startup. We read it in our mastermind group together and such a good book about validation and everything else. I'm going to look up that conference. Okay, please continue. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was awesome because, you know, I remember going to the conference and obviously a lot of the stuff they're talking about is you can start a business with, with very little resources. And in fact, uh, it's all about validating the idea. And as well, I was meeting other people there and I was, I started to just think, and I was like, I feel like I'm at, I'm at least as smart as these people. I'm at least, you know, I can speak well. Why can't I go and do the exact same thing? And so uh, at the time, you know, that's when I really started to double down and, and look for smaller companies to work with. So at the time I was doing a lot of travel hacking, like really heavy travel hacking uh, with credit cards and points and miles. And so I ended up landing. Okay, we're going to mark you down for an episode on that too, because that's really fun. Who wants to travel hack? Me. I just got into travel hacking this year and well, I would say like just pre-COVID, <laughs> I started taking like, you know, really like getting all the credit cards and doing all that kind of stuff and getting tons of points. And then COVID happened and I'm like, where am I supposed to use all these points now? Anyway, we're going to, we're going to talk more about travel hacking too. Okay, please continue. <laughs> right. So I, I was, I was super passionate about travel hacking. I think everyone, when they first start, it's like this amazing world. And so there was a, a blog, a website that I was reading called the points guy. And uh, I remember I emailed them and I said, Hey, I'm in college. And I think that this is the coolest thing in the world. And I want to work for you guys and you don't have to pay me. I'm just really stoked about this. And no one responded to that email. So I sent nine more and eventually I was able to get through to someone. And uh, while I was actually working at Verizon, I, I ended up getting to go to their office. This was when they were very small in New York, uh, went to the rework office and kind of pitched them and ended up coming on as an intern uh, to do reviews of airlines and hotels. And then also some financial strategy planning. Um, so for the points guy, we're the points guy. Yeah. That's crazy. Cause that, you know, Kevin Dickinson's the one who told me about travel hacking. And, and that was the first thing that he told me is like, you got to follow this guy, the points guy. And then I started listening to the podcast and all that stuff. And so you were persistent yeah. and you got in with the points guy, um, with their company to be able to like travel for a living and get paid for it. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and so this was like a whole different, you know, diametrically opposed to this huge company that's Verizon. The points guy was much smaller. I think at the time they had maybe five or six employees working out of a WeWork office. And, you know, part of my job was to look through the customer pathway and see kind of how people consume content until they applied for cards, because how they make their money, obviously, is affiliate revenue from credit cards. And where it kind of clicked for me is I, I, was, I was studying, you know, finance and I was going to business school at UF. And I remember going to one of my marketing professors, we were looking at, you know, different ad campaigns we were doing for the points guy. And I said, what's a, what's a normal amount for like a, a cost per click, you know, for some, you know, something in this space, a really basic question. And I remember very distinctly, the marketing professor said, number one, I don't know. And number two, you're not going to get to that stuff until grad school. And so essentially at that point, I was like, this makes no sense. I, I knew I did. I knew that I wasn't going to be able to be an accountant for the rest of my life. I liked what I was doing with Verizon. Anyway, so at that point, I just completely, I'm like, I'm not going to school anymore. And so I just stopped going to class and uh, just start working, you know, working remote and traveling. And so I didn't really have like the, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the fortitude to really tell my parents at that point that I wasn't going to school. Uh, so I was just not going to class and uh, ended up getting an internship at Amazon. I worked there over the summer in, uh, out of a fulfillment center in Tampa uh, in the loss prevention team. And I'll talk a little bit about that. But uh, Essentially, what, what happened is I did the internship with Amazon. Things went very, very well. And at the end, I got a full-time job offer. And I said to them, I said, look, I love this job. I really want to work with you guys, but I'm really not planning on graduating. Will you still hire me? And they said, we don't care. No problem at all. 
And so at that point, you know, I had been paying for my college myself. Um, and so at that point, I went to my parents and I said, hey, look, guys, I, I know this isn't what you want to hear, but I'm not finishing. I, I, I have this job at Amazon. And, you know, obviously they weren't like thrilled about it. But at the end of the day, I did have a job. So I uh, took the full time job with uh, with Amazon. It was supposed to start in the fall. And so I kind of had a whole summer. And so uh, a good friend of mine who was actually the president of the Entrepreneurship Club, Eric Rodriguez, and it's going to kind of all circle back in here in a minute. Um, I actually went out to the Philippines and I wanted to start an Amazon FBA business because I knew once I started at Amazon, uh, I wasn't going to have time. So I went out there over the summer. He taught me how to sell on Amazon and uh, we launched a couple of products. And then I, I moved to Houston and, and worked at Amazon. Um, and then so, you know, kind of how the story goes from there is I worked at Amazon for almost a year in Houston. I love the job. My, my job was working in loss prevention. So as you can imagine, this fulfillment center, there's like 4,000 people that work there and uh, employees steal yeah, this is This is where you guys, you know, that are listening right now, this is where we get into what happens when Amazon loses the stuff that you, so Anthony, I have had so, and I'm sure there's so many other sellers as well, but I mean, it's so funny. We, we put a test product. We had like these phone mounts for the car, right? And we, we were doing this sourcing small thing, you know, Andy and I have this sourcing small masterclass thing, but anyway, so I sourced a bunch of these because it was the only kind of phone mount that didn't block the vent, the air vent. Right. And I was like, man, this is cool. Like I can write a listing for this. So I source a hundred of them from Alibaba ready to ship. Right. And they get to my house. And then I realized that they have a brand name on them that it, in the fine print, I couldn't list them on Amazon. So I was like, okay, I can overcome this. I just ripped off all the logos. <laughs> nice. And then I sent them all to Amazon. You know, it was like free shipping. I think I paid a dollar sixty or something a piece and I could sell them for like 20 bucks each. So the, you know, the return on investment was really good. Profit was really good. So I send in these hundred units. Amazon does not ever check them in. Like a month goes by they're gone, right? Like, what the heck? So, you know, we opened up a case and we're like, what's going on with these? And so Amazon had to pay us for the retail price of these. And this is just one story. Like I sold barbell clamps too, and I had them listed for $60 each. And, um, and I got shut down by an IP claim, but they lost those too. And the funny thing is, and I want, I would love for you to hear your take on this, right? But so the funny thing is, um, the barbell clamps, right, that they lost, um, that the, I, my listing actually got shut down because of a design patent, um, but they lost the rest. They only checked in like 10 of them and they lost the rest of like 800 units and they had to pay me the, the retail price for them basically or like a mid between the retail. I paid $2 for these things. So I made bank of them losing them, right? Well, anyway, six months later, they find them. Yep. They already reimburse me. They send all of these barbell clamps back to us and we sold out of them during COVID on eBay <laughs> because a million people wanted these barbell clamps, right? Because they're all working out at home. Well, anyway, then you remember the phone mounts, right? Yeah. Phone mounts, Rashid, my husband was, he does all of our inventory and stuff for our brand. He was on the phone the other day and he's been on the phone forever. And I'm like, who are you on the phone with? And he goes, Amazon. They found one year later, they found these phone mounts. And Rashid's like, 
I, you guys already reimbursed us for them. Like we can't do anything with them now. They're gone. Like, you know, it's not like we're going to suddenly start selling these things, right? Like not our fault that you found them. You're going to have to figure out what to do with them, Amazon. Right. So we're kind of like working with them on that. But anyway, so how does this happen, Anthony? How do these things get lost? Yeah, so I think what a lot of people don't realize is just the sheer size of these fulfillment centers. I mean, they're massive. So these things are like a million square feet. They're four stories tall. Um, and, and like I said, there's like 4,000 workers that are, that are working there during peak and maybe even more at, at some other sites. And so the, the real thing is, I remember when I first went into the job, you know, that, that's kind of what made the job so interesting, right? Is because inventory deviations on a daily basis were just astronomical. You can't imagine. Because like you would have a, a pallet of laptops and then someone puts it in the wrong place and then it's like, okay, there's a hundred grand. And so part of the challenge was, you know, the minute some, you know, and you got to realize too, these fulfillment centers are open 24 hours a day and there's just a constant inflow of products that are being received, they're being stowed and they're being shipped out. And so you got to imagine that every single time that someone touches a product, it's tracked. And so my whole job was really kind of deep diving and figuring out, okay, what was a legitimate inventory deviation based on a mistake and what was actually based on employee theft uh, mm -hmm. or vendor fraud or, you know, a range of different issues. And so, yeah, that, I mean, it, it happens all the time and you wouldn't believe how often it happens, but it's just because of the volume is, is just so incredibly massive. And I, that's just one FC in Houston alone. Like I know uh, San Antonio, I don't even know how many are there, but when I was in Houston, we were, we were building out our third fulfillment center, HOU3. I was at HOU2. There might be like four or five now. I don't even know. Yes, that is so crazy. I love that. You know, it's interesting to think about how many things could happen and the amount of training that the amount of training that every employee has to have you know for any of us to grow our business you know jeff bezos originally when he started amazon he never i saw a quote the other day like he did not expect it to become what it is you know he just kind of started it but um you know think about the level of training that has to happen for 4,000 employees to not make these mistakes and the level of software and programming and everything that has to play together in one smooth mechanism you know i mean geez you got to be like lean six sigma black belts to make that happen well, you know yeah and it was just crazy as well because you know part of my job was uh when, when i was still there is was we were looking to build out the new fulfillment center hou3 and so i was i was uh, part of that launch team and, and the really crazy thing is like amy i was in uh, an Amazon, it's called, they call it an AR site, an Amazon Robotics. So they have those little Kiva robots that move the shelves. And uh, I don't remember exactly what it was, but something that was like, we're on AR site, it's like version 27. And so when they build, build it the first time, like they have an exact playbook for exactly how to build these things, exactly where to put everything. And because they've had like 27 iterations, they're probably at like 50 or hundred, who knows now of their Amazon Robotics site of just making it slightly better and slightly better and slightly better until they arrive at, at that. And, and as far as training goes, you know, this is something that I think a lot more companies should really double down in and think about is they had a whole department just dedicated to training. So the same way you'd have like a, a management team or a marketing team. I think people should really start thinking of having a dedicated, once your business reaches a certain size, someone that is just dedicated to maintaining training, updating training and making sure that it's being followed. Yes, the policy people. I mean, we definitely need that. I love, you know, we in our during our Inspire conference, that's what we focused on. We focused on future growth. And so we took a blank org chart 
And we said, okay, your business is not there right now. You're everything right now. You're the sales, the marketing, the inventory, the everything, you know, but eventually when your business grows to seven or eight figures, what does that look like? Do you have a marketing team? Who do you hire first? So we have them fill out their whole org chart. And I love that. I love, um, I love that thinking about, you know, somebody being dedicated because when you think about selling your business too, right? When you think about selling your business, you really want to have really great SOPs, something that's easy to hand off. You don't want to hand somebody like a hot mess and they go, okay, wait, where's your list of suppliers? Who works here? How do they do their job? Oh my gosh, you know, nope, no thank you. I don't want to buy that, right? So love that. So let's take, uh, let's transition now. You worked for Amazon and you left Amazon. What happened next? To be completely honest, you know, and people have probably read the news and, you know, you see these stories and they talk about Amazon being a terrible employer and whatnot. It's just completely untrue. Um, it's just absolutely untrue. I loved working at Amazon. Uh, I was compensated incredibly well. The work culture was amazing. Um, I, I really enjoyed it a lot. I have nothing uh, negative to say. I love my job in loss prevention. I highly recommend it. Uh, I, got, I got trained on how to interrogate people. Like it was just an amazing, amazing, amazing job. Uh, the only thing I didn't like about it is, you know, and this might be kind of complaining, but I had gotten the travel bug. I, at that point, I had probably been to 30 countries. Um, and I remember uh, very distinctly, I, I had already taken a trip. I was a few months into work. I had taken a trip that year to Egypt and then I had taken another trip to Bali. And it was on my way back from Bali. Uh, I was just like so depressed because I knew, and this might, I might sound like a big baby, but this is honest. I was so depressed to know that I had just taken my vacation. I had no more PTO and I'm going to have to wait another six months before I can go take another trip. Mm. And so that was just something I wasn't super interested in. But the thing is, so I came back and, um, you know, the, so the guy I was telling you about earlier, Eric Rodriguez, the guy who had taught me how to sell on Amazon. Um, we came back from the trip. Long story short is I was dating a girl. We, we stopped dating. And so I texted Eric, he had met her on the trip to Bali. And so I texted him, I was like, Hey, I just want to let you know that, you know, so-and-so we, we, we broke up and he's like, okay, get, well, give me a call. And so I'm like, okay, Eric's going to console me. He's going to, you know, whatever. And so we hop on the phone and he's like, oh yeah, man, sorry, sorry to hear that. But uh, to be honest, I didn't really like her anyway. Um, now that there's nothing holding you back, why don't you quit your job at Amazon? I have this company called Virtuous Graphics. Why don't you come out here? I really need help scaling this. I want to focus on my FBA business. And I was pretty familiar with the company. I'd actually, you know, when I was out in the Philippines, he had given me some freelance assignments and I was very familiar with the company. And so I thought, this is insane. I'm gonna to have to repay a huge signing bonus. I had 64 shares of stock that weren't even close to vesting. I was gonna to have to repay a relocation, like all of these financial implications. Uh, and not to mention, I was gonna leave a very good paying job to move to, to, move to the Philippines and make $2,000 a month. Um, I said, this is crazy, but I knew if I didn't do it, I'd end up regretting it forever. So the next day I, I put in my two weeks notice. I asked my parents, I said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm walking away from this. I know I don't have a college degree, but..." If I totally fail, can I come and live in the basement? Because I knew at the end of the day, like worst comes to worst, I would just go back and get another normal job. Right. And so I, I put in my two weeks notice and then, you know, less than a month later, I flew out to the Philippines uh, to help scale this company called Virtuous Graphics. And so when I got there, there was maybe about eight employees. Um, and it was my whole job was just to, to grow and scale the, the business. So at the time we were just doing photography and graphic design and we built it out to include copywriting and video and grew the team to uh, at one point, almost 30 full-time creatives and just really scaled it. And uh, yeah, that, that, that was what was next after Amazon. Got it. So, and now you're at PicFu. 
Yeah, so so we we really built that business. Eric and I we built it for for about two years and and, and grew it. I was really happy uh, with it, but at some point it, we just kind of hit a point where Eric was very focused in his FBA business. He really wasn't focusing on virtuous graphics, just kind of doing the the maintenance and admin stuff. And so I said, hey, um, you know, at, at the time I said, look, we're we're getting to a point where this is beyond what I can handle. Uh, what you know it, there was kind of a, a right time and right place for a strategic buyer that was a private equity company uh, that was rolling up fba businesses and at the time too and i'll be completely honest about this virtuous graphics wasn't you know you know service businesses it's like from a profitability standpoint it is a challenge and yeah. uh, for me i wasn't really focused on profitability i was focused on building the business i said let's bring in someone that can help me with uh increasing the profitability of the company and uh just you know building out the procedures and building out the standards so back in september 2019 we sold the business to this private equity company um, and then, you know, for about six months, helped to transition out and, uh, you know, we sold the business. Wasn't enough to like not stop working again, obviously. So uh, I took a couple of months off, you know, long story short is what happened is, you know, so Virtuous Graphics isn't, isn't around anymore per se, but the company still does exist. They've just rebranded to another name. Um, you know, for whatever reason, it wasn't able to work out with, with me being there and them being there. It's, you know, totally fine. It's just, you know, sometimes that's the nature and that's the reality yeah. of things. And so, um, pick foo, I actually had met John and Justin at prosper show earlier and, um, virtuous graphics, we had integrated pick foo into our service offerings. Um, something I actually came up with back then that I call progressive image testing. And we'll walk through a little bit of that, but a uh, long story short is I had heard of pick foo at an advanced workshop. And uh, at the time, I think it was still something that not many Amazon sellers knew of. It was kind of like this well-kept secret. Yes, and, um, I would so agree. I approached, I approached Justin and John and, and I said, I, I knew a lot about the product. I was a personal user of it. I thought it was fantastic. And so, you know, Justin and John are amazing people, uh, but yeah. they will tell you at the end of the day, they are, they're, they're a bit nerdy, you know, they're engineers, that's their background. <laughs> and so uh, I pitched them on, I said, hey, look, I think this is an amazing tool that really can be integrated widespread into e-commerce. I'd love to come on and, you know, I had a very good background in conversion optimization. Let me come out and, and help you guys promote this and help get this into, you know, actually to help sellers. And so uh, that was back in March and I made a presentation to them and made another presentation and, and eventually they said, okay, cool, we'll give you a shot. And uh, that's, that's kind of what happened. And so, yeah. So I love that you took a leap basically to live life on your own terms because that's really what you ended up doing. You know, you're working for, first you had a passion for working for all of these startups, which I would encourage any, um, you know, any, somebody who's getting their business started on Amazon that is wanting to kind of learn and grow. One of the best ways to do that is to either intern or get a job at one of these startups. I mean, because you can really learn for your own business where you have to start and the mistakes that you could make and where you would go, right? Um, so I, I love that you took the time to leap in a small way, you know, and decided I'm gonna live life on my terms. We always talk about, you know, college and how after becoming entrepreneurs, we realize, you know, I got all these degrees on the wall in here, you know, I got, two master's degrees. I got cum laude, bachelor of science. I got two more over here. I've got five, um, you know, um, uh, IT certifications back here, you know, great. But none of that helped me 
go out on my own and make my own thing, right? I, I won't say none of it. I will say some of it, but you know, you realize after you leap that you're like, whoa, I, I, I don't need college. I don't need any of these things. I need to pave my own way. I need courage. I need confidence. You know, the qualities that an entrepreneur has is, um, is different than what you get in a classroom setting. And so I don't think that college is bad. I think that the college is awesome and it helps you kind of work through tough things and figure things out and have that staying power. Right. Um, but ultimately at the end of the day, when it comes to being an entrepreneur and forging your own path, I love that you decided like, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. And you looked at the end, you said, I know that if I don't do this, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. And that's huge, right? Because you had this idea of what your why was before you even began. And, um, so many people that want to go out on their own, they struggle with that, you know? Um, so I hats off to you there for just taking that brave leap and saying, mom and dad, I'll live in your basement if I have to. <laughs> yeah. and the other, the other thing that I would offer up as well is because, you know, I don't have any issue with college. In fact, I, I it was, it was a great experience. I did a lot of extracurriculars. I got to run the cycling team there. I was on the international case competition team. You know, the, the thing I think is the, the real issue right now with college is number one cost. I spent no joke, Amy, I spent, and I'm paying for it myself, a hundred thousand dollars between room and board and all the things. And I just had no perspective in that. The second thing too is like, when you're so young, you just don't know what you actually enjoy doing. And so I actually think that at some point in my life, I might actually go back and do some kind of traditional education, but I'm gonna have a much better idea. Like if I go back now, I'm gonna wanna learn about engineering so I can design better products. I'm gonna wanna learn about psychology or like how the brain works so I can, you know, for, for better and more effective marketing. But the thing is, I would have never known that until I figured out, okay, here's what my skills are. Here's what I really am passionate about doing. Yeah. And when you're that young, like I, I think that going off and getting internships. And like I said, when I, when I applied for the points guy, I mean, I did get paid, but I, I was totally willing to work for free. And I think so many people are, they're just looking at the number of how much money they're going to make. And it's so short-sighted. Like I'm sure nobody would have taken a job at Virtuous Graphics just for the money. Like even what I started out making at PicFu, it was very, very small compared, you know, people would tell me, well, you should ask for more money. And it's like, you're totally missing the point. I just want to have this opportunity because I'm quite confident that I'll make as much money as, as you want to make. And people are just very, um, focused on that one thing. And I think that's a big mistake. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So, I mean, Hey, we're at the halfway point in our show. So let's get into actually, you know, talking about that conversion optimization. What is conversion optimization? Tell me about that. Right. So, you know, obviously you're, you're, you're probably one of the, the top experts in the space. And I know the audience probably, uh, here's, it from a bunch of different angles. And so conversion optimization is essentially what actions and what steps can you take to increase the probability that if someone lands on your listing, lands on your product page, that they're actually going to buy the product. And so when someone's shopping on Amazon, there's only two options. They're either going to buy or they're going to bounce. And what I believe, my personal hypothesis is that you can actually get astronomically high conversion rates in the, especially on Amazon, especially FBA, because when someone is searching for a product, right, they already have the intent to buy. So earlier today, I was giving an example of a dish drying rack. If someone takes the time to go to Amazon and they type in dish drying rack, they want to buy a dish drying rack. And unless something happens, right, that, you know, maybe, you know, the kids, you know, start crying or whatever, 
there's really very little reason that that won't convert into purchasing a dish dry rack. Now, the thing that you have to do as a seller is you have to convince someone that this dish drying rack is the one that I actually want to buy. And so the other thing that people often make a mistake with is when customers are shopping on Amazon, what sellers sometimes get wrong is they think that someone's on your listing and they're a captive audience. And that's not true. When people are shopping on Amazon, they are distracted. The kids are running around in the background. You know, the phone's going off. They might've had a rough day at work, COVID craziness going on. And so what your job is, is from a visual standpoint, you have to, in the minimal amount of time possible, convey, cram as much information as you possibly can into your customer's brain. That's going to explain what is this product? What's the benefit in my life and overcome any objections that they have. So conversion optimization, I really do it from a visual standpoint is, you know, because that's what your brain is. Your brain is just this huge graphics processor all the time. 90% of the information going through your brain, it's all just absorbing visual information. So your job in around um, conversion optimization is how can you send those visual messages in the most concise and the most effective way possible. Thanks for tuning in to part one of this episode. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at sellerroundtable.com. Sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, sellerseo.com and amazingathome.com.